We're in a series entitled Courageous Faith. How many of you would love to have courageous faith, big faith like we see in the men in the Old Testament? Anybody? Yeah. How, many of, how many of you would love to be able to say to the son, son, you stay your place, and moon, you stay your place, and because your faith and trust is in the Lord that it, it does that? Would you like that? Don't, don't do that. I'm just wondering if you would like to be able to do that. It, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I read in the Old Testament and, 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 and just the, the, the faith of these people blows my mind. The, the things that, that they had to trust God to do or they would perish. And, and so we, we've been in this series entitled Courageous Faith. And, and really it's, it's the story of Joshua leading the children of Israel into the promised land, conquering the, the land that God has given them, that sounds like an oxymoron. We'll talk about that in just a moment. And, and I don't know about you, but, but there have been things in the story of Joshua that have helped me. You, you see, Joshua wasn't perfect. In fact, he blew it a couple of times. He, he blew it big a few times. And, and yet God continued to work in him. God continued to move in him. And God is using him to fulfill God's purpose and plan for the nation of Israel. And so today, uh, just to kind of pick up, last week we talked about the, the five Amorite kings. You remember that? that? That they came together against the nation of Israel and against Gibeon because they had made a covenant with Israel. And, and so the, the five Amorite kings came against them. And, and Joshua, um, at, the, at the word of the Lord, planned a preemptive strike they actually marched all night they defeated the five kings and you remember where we left last week the five kings all down on the ground joshua commanded his chiefs to come his commanders he said put your foot on their neck i i can i can just imagine what what that scene was like god had done something huge in fact Scripture tells us that more were killed by the hailstones that God sent than by the swords of the sons of Israel. And Joshua then pulls them up and he says, put, put your, your foot on their neck. And he says, that is what Yahweh, our God, will do to everyone who opposes us. And, and you remember, I, I, I pictured that, that what Joshua was saying is, you guys remember this moment. Remember this, because you're going to face times that are tough. Well, we pick up this week, we're in Joshua chapter 10, uh, verse 29 through 42. I, I would love to summarize it for you, but I, I don't want to miss anything in here, so I'm just going to read it to you. It's, it's uh, 13 verses, but follow along with me if you've got your Bibles. This is Joshua chapter 10, beginning in verse 29. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Makeda to Libna and fought against Libna. And Yahweh gave it also and its king into the hand of Israel, and he struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it. He left nothing remaining in it, and he did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Libna to Lachish. This is really fun. I, I always am careful about the passages that we read. <clears throat> because you can get some really fun names in here. 
passed on from Libna to Lachish and laid siege to it and fought against it. And the Lord gave Lachish into the hand of Israel. And he captured it on the second day and struck it with the edge of the sword and every person in it as he had done at Libna. Then Horam, the king of Gezer, came up to help Lachish and Joshua struck him and his people until he left none remaining. Then Joshua and all Israel with him passed on from Lachish to Eglon and they laid siege to it and fought against it. And they captured it on that day and struck it with the edge of the sword as he devoted every person in it to destruction that day as he had done to Lachish. Then Joshua and all Israel with him went up from Eglon to Hebron and they fought against it and captured it and struck it with the edge of the sword and its king and its towns and every person in it. He left none remaining as he had done to Eglon and devoted it to destruction and every person in it. Then Joshua and all Israel with him turned back to Debir and fought against it, and he captured it with its king and all its towns, and they struck them with the edge of the sword and devoted to destruction every person in it. He left none remaining, just as he had done to Hebron and Libna and to its king. So he did to Debir and its king. You ever, you ever read in the Bible and, and, and your thought was, why so many details? I mean, do, do, we, do we need to know every little thing in here? Why, God, why would you include in your word so many minute, even down to where it says that he went up to Hebron? I mean, you know, that, why would they, they say that? One of the things that I love about the Bible uh, is, one, it doesn't leave anything out. It doesn't sugarcoat anything. When there's sin, it just says it. Um, aren't you glad you weren't around in the time that the Bible was being written, right? But the other thing, the other reason that, that, that I think as we read in here and we see all the details with the specific names of the places that were conquered and, and how they went from place to place and even going up to Hebron is because it's true. Every bit of it is true. This is, the Bible isn't a history book, yet there's a lot of history in the Bible. The Bible's not a book of geography, yet there's a lot of geography in the Bible. And, and as you read through, the, the details are there because it happened, because it's true. And, and we read in, in Joshua, as he goes from place to place, if, if you can just kind of picture this, uh, he began in the heart of Canaan, this land that God had promised them. And now he turns and he sweeps through all of southern Canaan and and we don't have an exact timeline in here, even though there are some places where it says, and that day, so it, it would give the indication that the day that he attacked, they won, they finished it. The idea, the picture that we get here is that Joshua is doing what God has called him to do in all of Israel with him, the fighting men of Israel. And, and there is almost... No opposition as they sweep through all of southern Canaan. It, it, it is amazing. City after city after city falls. Many of them, understandably so, because there's no king. He took care of the five kings of the biggest. And Joshua sweeps all the way through there. And, and then as we get to verse 40, this is kind of a summary of everything that we've just read. It says, So Joshua struck the whole land, the hill country, and the Negev, and the lowland, and the slopes, 
and all their kings. He left none remaining, but devoted to destruction all that breathed, just as Yahweh, the God of Israel, commanded. And Joshua struck them from Kadesh Barnea as far as Gaza and all the country of Goshen as far as Gibeon. And Joshua captured all these kings in their land at one time because Yahweh, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. Then Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Can you imagine? This is not a a complete summary of the the conquering of Canaan. Next next week we'll jump, actually two weeks from, from today, we'll jump into the the northern part of Canaan. But he swept through. Can, do you remember? Do you remember when they took 3,000 men and went against the AI and, and lost about 2.5%? They had about a 2.5% casualty rate, and they turned tail and ran. It's hard to believe this is the same people. That gives me hope. It gives me hope that God can work in my life to bring me to the place where at his command, I act in obedience. Have you ever thought about faith much? We've given this definition for faith. It's a simple one, but I I like it. Faith is believing that God is who he says he is and that God will do what he says he'll do. And and, and the reason I like that one is because when you put those together, it's, it's talking about the character and nature of God, who is God, and then is God, because of who he is, is God going to do what he says he's going to do? Is he going to be good for his word? And, and you, would, you would think that just knowing what God has done in our lives, that we would just be able to trust him, and yet how many times do we not? Our car breaks down, the first thing we do is look, see what we have in the bank. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't put a money, put, put a money, starting to sound a little Italian here, Sorry that you shouldn't put money away. The Bible says that's just a prudent thing. We know there are going to be expenses. We just don't know what they are. So in times of plenty, we set money aside for those times. But but our first response should always be to turn to the Lord. I I think Joshua and the nation of Israel finally got it, at least for now that they're, they're putting their faith and their trust and their hope in God, that he is who he says he is, that he is the defender, that he is the champion for Israel, and that he'll do what he says he'll do. They simply have to step out in faith. And the, the, the verse for me that, that really just kind of summarizes all of what we just read is verse 42. It says, And Joshua captured all these kings and their land at one time, because, and in and, and your Bible it may have the Lord capitalized, but I've been using Yahweh because it makes more sense to us, that Yahweh, the God of Israel, that God, Yahweh, the God of Israel fought for Israel. It's not because now they finally got their war strategy down. It's not because now they've got a few battles under their belt, they're able to handle it on themselves or for themselves. It is very clear that the reason they were able to capture all of southern Canaan in, in, boy, in in blitz kind of fashion, one after another, after another, after another. I I can't imagine 
if word even got to the next cities, and it probably didn't, but if it did, what they must have thought, oh my goodness, Israel is sweeping through Canaan. We don't stand a chance. The reason is because Yahweh, the God of Israel, fought for Israel. And, and as, I, as I read this, as, as I just tried to, to put myself in there, first of all, these guys have to be exhausted. I don't know how they, they carried from one to another. Remember, all this started with a, an overnight march to, to, to defeat the five kings catch them by surprise first thing in the morning, and then they, they didn't stop. They just kept going. But as, as I read this, as I was, I was, was thinking, God, how, how does this apply to us? This, this is Old Testament. This is under the law. This is Joshua, the nation of Israel. You promised them the land. So what does it say for us? The, the verse that kept coming to mind for me was in Romans. But before we get there, I, I just want to remind you, because we need reminding. You guys ever need reminding of things sometimes? Um, that's why God gave me a wife. He looked at Adam and said, it's not good for a man to be alone. And he looked at me early on and said, this guy's not going to make it on his own. I need to give him Cynthia. We need to be reminded of things. I, I love it even in the, the early church. It says the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the things I said to you, Jesus told them. So this is just by way of reminder. I know that you know this, but it, verse 42 reminds me, God fights the battles. You know that, right? You know that it's God that fights the battles, that, that, that whether you're talking about Joshua and the nation of Israel and Canaan, or whether you're talking about First Baptist Church, Cloudcroft, or us individually, God is the one who fights the battles. We, we don't ever need to forget that. I think that's why that's recorded here, just by way of reminder that, that the reason they were able to defeat all of southern Canaan, one city after another after another, was because Yahweh, the God of Israel, fought for them. And, and, and as I, I was thinking about this, as I was reading this, and, and God, how does this apply to us? Romans 8 Verse 31 through 39 came to mind for me. You might have this memorized. At least you'll recognize it probably. Paul, in the first part of Romans 8, you remember how it starts. Verse 1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And we think of that as people saying bad things about us. That's not what Paul's talking about. Paul's talking about because Jesus took our sin on the cross and he took the payment, the penalty, the condemnation for our sin for those who are in Christ, there is therefore now no condemnation because Jesus took it. Then Paul goes on to talk about what God has done for us for salvation, how he set us free from sin. Then he gets to verse 31 and he says, what then shall we say to these things? Because God has done all of this stuff for us. What are we to say? You know his conclusion? If God is for us, who can be against us? Now, now I, you may have heard this. In the Greek, there are some conditionals like if, if, then. or This is one of those that is assuming that it's true. If God is for us, and he is, I just, Paul just wrote about that in the first part of, of chapter 8. If God is for us, and he is, then who can be against us? The, the idea is this, who can stand 
We see that in, in the nation of Israel, that God fought for the nation of Israel and no one could stand because they weren't fighting Israel, they were fighting the Lord God himself. And then Paul goes on to say, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, that is with Jesus, give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. I, I don't know about you, but sometimes I feel a little bit beat up by life. Does that happen to you? We, we come, we celebrate together, we encourage one another on Sunday mornings. But you know what? After every Sunday, there's a Monday. How many of you, Monday's your favorite day of the week? I just want to see if we got any weird people. <laughs> Mondays just seem to be hard, don't they? I think for believers, it's especially so because we, we gather together, we celebrate, we lift up the name of the Lord Jesus, we hear God speak to us, he works in our hearts, he encourages us, he changes us, and then Monday we have to go put into practice what we've learned. M Monday we get to go live in the world, even though we're not of the world. And sometimes, man, life just beats on us and just beats on us, and if we're not careful, we forget that it is the Lord our God who fights the battles for us. I, I, I love it. Paul says, who is to condemn? Do, do you, remember, you remember that story, the true story? The woman that was caught in, in adultery and brought to Jesus, and they told him this woman was caught in the act of adultery. I always wonder what happened to the guy, but anyways... Moses said we should stone her. What do you say? And this verse has been misused way too many times in our culture. Jesus gets down and doodles or draws or writes, or the word's not super clear here, but he may have just been drawing pictures. He writes something or he draws something in the sand, and, and there's this long, awkward silence, and finally they say, hey, <laughs> What do you say? Jesus stands up and Jesus said, well, let the one among you without sin be the first to cast the stone. Then he goes back to whatever he was doing. I think it's funny to think he may have just been drawing in the sand and totally ignoring them, but he might have been actually writing. Some, uh, some people say maybe he was writing sins. Whatever the case is, God began to work in their hearts and one by one, they began to drop their stones. These weren't little rocks. These were stones. Then Jesus finally stands up and he says, woman, where are your accusers? And she said they left. And Jesus said something here that is really important that we tend to miss. Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, he wasn't saying who am I to judge whether that was sin or not, which is the way that, that this is used in our culture. You know, hey, hey, you without, you without sin cast the first stone. You can't say that that's sin because you have sin. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is they would, they would have me condemn you for your sin, and yet I alone have the right to condemn, and I choose not to. Go and sin no more. Don't you, you repent. You turn away. And I love it. He says, who is to condemn? Well, Jesus is the one who has the right to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died. 
really cool, but I don't want to get too far off, but I love this. It's Romans 6, um, about 626, where I'll, I'll paraphrase it just a little bit for you. The one who demanded payment for our sin became the payment for our sin. Isn't that cool? The one who has the right to condemn us for our sin was himself condemned for our sin. More than that, who was raised? Jesus not only was condemned for our sin, but he overcame sin. After three days in the grave, he was raised, and he is now at the right hand of God. We, we pass that over too quickly That is the position of authority. Jesus said, remember in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus is the one that God has given all authority to. He is at the right hand of God. And he intercedes for us. Isn't that cool? I I didn't have a big brother. I had big sisters with um, boyfriends who wanted to... to, uh, gain favor in their sight. Uh, so I would say, I'm going to tell my sister's boyfriend on you. <laughs> but the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who has all authority and power is in that position interceding for us. Listen. Jesus Christ, our Lord, will fight for us. He's already won the war. We know that, right? I just skip skip to Revelation about chapter 22. You'll you'll figure that out. But we still deal with the battles, but he fights our battles for us. Let me read this last part. Who then shall separate us from the love of Christ? <laughs> shall tribulation immediately we think of the book of Revelation here. Uh, will, will any of that, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? And then Paul mentions here, look, some, some of us are facing this now. He says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Just because we're not dealing with that in the U.S. doesn't mean that's not happening Believers are still being killed for their faith throughout the world. And Paul says, will will any of that separate you from the love of Christ? And then he says, no. I I bet you if Paul were giving this uh, instead of a letter in a live presentation, he would have yelled, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors, not because of us. We are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure, I love this passage, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. You ever get tired of listing stuff when you're writing and you say, etc.? <laughs> Paul wanted to make sure we understood there is no thing No thing that can separate us from the love of Christ. He said, nothing, 
Nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. I, I just want to encourage you this morning. For those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who are believers, who, who have made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior and your Lord, let me tell you, he will fight your battles for you, and there is none who is greater than he. Satan would love for us to feel like we're all alone, that nobody understands, nobody gets it. We read in Scripture that Jesus, we don't have a mediator who's unable to relate to us. Jesus was tempted in every way as we, and yet without sin, and he's the one who mediates, who intercedes, as it says here, before or for us before the throne of God. What it really comes down to is, do you trust him? It all comes down to trust. Same word in Scripture, is whether we, we render it as trust or belief or faith, it all comes down to trust. Do you trust him? Let me quickly, we'll close with this, and then we want to enter a time of, of communion together. Let me give you three reasons, or, or three, three ways, I guess reasons is a better word, three reasons that you can trust God. First of all, God loves you, and he wants what's best for you. That is absolutely true. For those of you who are parents, have kids, you want what's best for your kids. I, I only partially tongue-in-cheek say all the time when my, my daughters, we, they don't date, and they say, how are they going to get a husband? I said, I'll pick them. <laughs> and, and I love doing that to especially teenage girls, right? Because that doesn't make you feel comfortable at all. And I'm, then I have to explain real fast, wait, wait, wait. Do you think I'd go pick some ugly guy? Do you think I'd go pick a jerk? Do you, do you think I'd pick some lazy good for nothing? Of course not. How much more will God desire what's best for us? Now, now there's more than that. God loves us and he wants what's best for us. But the second thing is this. God is, here's a good word for you, omniscient. He knows everything and he knows what's best for us. Because young women, when you think about your dad picking your husband, you're thinking, uh, he can't even match his own clothes. How, how am I going to know if he's going to get a good guy for me? You don't have to worry about that with God. God wants what's best for you, but God knows what's best for you. I would say contrary to what you think is best for you most of the time. God knows what's best for you. And then finally, God is omnipotent. That is, he's all-powerful. God is able to do what's best for you. Now, now, young ladies, even if your dad somehow got it right and he found a guy who had it all, he had looks and he had brains and he was a good hard worker and he was successful and he was a godly guy, you're like, yeah, but he can't make him fall in love with me. Right? That's why they used to have dowries. I'm kidding You see, as parents, we may want what's best for our kids. We might even know what's best for our kids, but sometimes we just might not be able to do it. Not so with God. Not so with God. He can, and I, I say will, 
do what's best for you. You just got to trust him. Real faith always, I'm going to say this again a little slower. Real faith always results in obedience. That's James' whole thing with faith and works. Real faith always results in obedience. So so let me encourage you this morning and remind you that Jesus Christ, our Lord, will fight your battles for you. You just have to trust him. And let me challenge you with that this morning, knowing what we've read, knowing Paul, all of Romans chapter 8. Read that again if you haven't read it lately. All that God has done for us. If God is for you, and he is, who can stand against you? Today, if you've made a public profession of faith in Jesus Christ, then then I invite you to be part of our communion this morning. There are a couple of reasons that that we do what we call the Lord's Supper. I use the two terms, communion and Lord's Supper, interchangeably, mainly because I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and supper at almost noon seems weird to me a bit. Um, But the Lord's Supper is simply a time where we gather together as the body of Christ. It is one of those ways that we demonstrate our unity together as the church. And, And we do a couple of things, Paul tells us. First is that we proclaim Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We remember what it is that Jesus did for us. That the bread is symbolic for his body, which was broken for us. His body that he gave for us. In in a real way, not some symbolic kind of way, Jesus, when he hung on the cross, he took our sin upon himself. Paul says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin. He took our sin, and then he took the wrath of God for us, the punishment, the payment we deserved Jesus took. The, The blood, Jesus said, This is the new covenant that I make with you, not the old covenant that was an if-then covenant. If you obey these, then I'll bless you. If you disobey these, then I'll discipline you. That was the old covenant. That was the old law. Jesus initiated a new covenant with us. This covenant, Jesus did all the work. He said, this is the blood of the new covenant that I make with you. We remember that. But we also trust that Jesus' words are true when he says that someday, right now I'm going to go prepare a place for you. And someday I will return to come back and get you. And that's where a lot of us, depending on the day, say, Lord Jesus, come quickly. Come. I, I can relate a bit to what Paul was saying. Paul said, you know what? It's better for you if I stay, but man, if I just got to choose, I think I'd rather go be with the Lord. But he will fulfill his promise to us. Let's pray and we'll ask the deacons to come forward for a communion. God, you're amazing to us. Your, your love goes so far beyond what we could comprehend 
And God, you've demonstrated your love for us and that while we were still sinners, that Christ died on the cross for us, taking our sin and shame, taking the punishment for our sin and giving us in exchange your righteousness. And we can have a right relationship with you because of him. And Father, if there's anyone here today who's not done that, who, who hasn't trusted in Christ for their salvation, Lord, this morning, I just pray that you would draw them to you, that, that as we celebrate what you've done for us, that they could celebrate by trusting in Christ for their salvation. Father, for those of us who've done that, Lord, I pray that you would just renew within us, God, the wonder of the salvation that you've given to us. We'd never take it for granted. We'd never forget from where we've come. And that, God, you would use it to spur us on in our relationship with you to give us courage and boldness to share the good news of Jesus with those around us. Father, as we come together this morning as your church is the body of Christ, that, God, we'd do it of one heart, one mind. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.